we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. Welcome, everyone. This is Dr. Harvey Risch, Professor Emeritus of Epidemiology at Yale School of Public Health. Today, we're continuing our weekly series with various interesting and accomplished people. Our discussions have generally been on science and COVID issues, but can go wherever, really, our conversations might lead. And if listeners have questions for me or comments, please submit them at americaoutloud.com forward slash pulse. I'm very pleased to introduce today's guest, Mr. Jeffrey Tucker, who is a prolific writer on economics and culture, including remarkably 10 books. And he's also the president and founder of the Brownstone Institute, for which I'm happy to say that I've written a few essays myself. So Jeffrey, let's begin. What have you been thinking about lately? Uh, well, I guess I've been doing a, a number of interviews on, on RFK, who's this very disruptive figure out there. And, and what I find most interesting about him is, well, he's obviously tearing up the playbook on how to run for president. He's not doing anything like what you're supposed to do. This guy named Peter Hotez, who's a medical uh, uh, guy who's been propagandizing for lockdowns and mandatory masks and vaccines now for, I guess, going on three years. Uh, Joe Rogan invited RFK and Hotez to debate each other. Um, and yeah, debates don't have to be angry. They can be informative. You know, they, they can be annoying, but they can also be <laughs> elicit a lot of truth, you know. Um, but Hotez would not debate him. And he said science is not about debate which is a strange comment. Um, and it's it was about 24, 48 hours after the big brouhaha over this that that RFK, I, I don't know, had somebody film him doing push-ups and getting up, and it turns out he's got this body of, you know, Aquaman or something. <laughs> well, was he riding on a horse with no shirt or something? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Uh, which I have to tell you, Harvey, you know, I'm 59 and he's 10 years older than I am. And it, it inspired me. I'm thinking, I've got to get to the gym more. What is wrong yeah. with me? Yeah, he's in great shape. Yeah, it was just amazing. But it, it suddenly occurred to me, I thought, well, this is the way he wins the debate with hotels. Just the cuffs, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, I don't know. So, yeah, there you go. He's kind of making a, a wonderful and, and delightful mess out of everything. I, I most especially like the fact that he uses every opportunity to rehearse for people the contrast between a traditional pandemic response and what happened over the last three years and the consequences of that. I don't think that message can get out enough because um, so, there's so many people, and it doesn't matter what your politics, left, right, libertarian, who are just thoroughly confused about what happened over the last three years. And I appreciate RFK, mainly as an intellectual and an educator. I have to say, he he asked me to introduce him uh, speaking at Porkfest. And that was exciting, you know. I was really honored with that. And so I deliberately did not plan too well what I was going to say. But right before I got on stage, I calculated the number of months since the lockdowns of, of March uh, 2020, 2020. And I realized it had been 40 months. Right. And um, and then I pointed out that the number 40 has a very, uh, very interesting numerological significance in the Judeo-Christian tradition. I think um, uh, 
you know, Israelites wandered the, the desert uh, after having fled captivity for 40 years. Uh, something having to do with Moses uh, was preparing for his own work was was 40 years. I'm not sure I know what that is. He but... was 40 days on the top of the mountain before he came down with the tablets of the law. 40 days. Okay, he was 40 days. And then uh, Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days to prepare for the beginning of his ministry you know so this 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 number 40 what was it that wasn't wasn't the big rains 40 days and 40 nights too um uh, for the noah's noah 40 thing? weeks 40 weeks okay so anyway so there's a number 40 and it's like okay uh, are we going to be are we going to be in the situation 40 40 40 uh 40 months or is it 40 years i mean 40 i'd rather years. be i'd rather it be 40 months and 40 years the reason it was 40 years in the desert is because the cowardly generation um and their progeny had to be gone so that a new generation uh of self-awareness right um would grow up in their place right and that's a terrifying prospect i have to say because you know, as soon as this hit, this disaster, when I saw people denying natural immunity and 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 rejecting repurposed drugs, and it seemed like we were going into this 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 age where lockdowns and vaccines are supposed to solve pandemics, I thought, well, this is the ultimate anti-science thing. So I I I, I reread a book named "The Structure of Scientific Revolutions" by Thomas Kuhn. Yes, I'm familiar with Kuhn and Popper and the post-Paparians and all of that. Yes. Yeah. So I reread Kuhn just to find out because I wanted to find out how long how long does it take an orthodoxy to confront the anomalies to the point that the orthodoxy collapses and you enter into that pre-paradigmatic stage and then you 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 develop a new paradigm. I I, I knew his model, but I didn't I didn't know what triggered the turning point. And I was very disappointed to read in the book that what triggers the de- turning point is the death of the people, the main advocates. And they have to actually expire from the earth and a new generation has to take over before a new paradigm. Well, Fauci is probably not going to be that much around that much longer. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But it worried me. Now, just keep in mind, this was in the the spring of 2020 when I uh, when I read this, because I wanted to know how because I thought maybe there might be an automatic mechanism in place in the structure of humanity that everybody says, well, nothing's working. Let's reject that and develop a new paradigm. But Kuhn says it never works that way. What actually happens is that new generation has to come along. Uh, that was sad for me. But see, I don't think, I think it's worse because it's not a new generation of scientists that has to come along. It's a new generation of security state that has to come along. And the security state has already been out there doing this for more than two generations, at least since World War II, if not a little before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what you get from uh, from the, the book by RFK, Real Anthony Fauci, because he traces back the roots of this until just uh, until just after World War II. But you say it's, it was World War II itself. I mean, that's well, I think it's the CIA. I think the CIA, yeah. which was the office office of strategic services, whatever it was, OSS, yeah. whatever that yeah. stands yeah. for, yeah. 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 that yeah. was organized to subvert foreign countries has been working to subvert the United States for some presumed either self-power reasons or some perverted idea of national security yeah. or some combination of that or some some economic interest, some private economic interest that it's allied with, that it uses all of this and it's put us in its purview 
And we didn't know that until COVID hit, that we really did not understand the ramifications. We thought the CIA was out there subverting Ukraine and, and other places, right. you know, to, to bring democracy to the world in quotation right. marks. Uh, how ludicrous was that idea? We trusted yeah. them to do that. Well, and you know, I have to say that it took me a very long time to fully realize the extent to which the national security state apparatus and the intelligence community was really involved in this whole thing. And and when and when I found that out, it it really was paradigm shifting. Um, and it took a very long process for me to discover this because initially I thought it was just a public health error. But on March thirteenth, the Health and Human Services put out a document that the New York Times revealed about six weeks later, the document was marked um, uh, confidential or classified. And I read that document several times, but I have to say, sometimes you read a document, you can't understand it. I knew this document was important, but I couldn't, even though I read it several times, I couldn't figure out what the heck it was saying. <laughs> I, I mean, I knew it was important, but I didn't. So I kept posting it, kept posting it, writing articles saying, and on March 13th, the following document came out. I didn't say, I have no idea what this means. I just said, somebody needs to look into this. Well, finally, it was Debbie Lehrman, who writes for, for Brownstone, uh, who took a look at it and said, well, the answer is right here on this on this org chart. <laughs> I colored org chart right in the middle of the document that says, the rulemaking power uh, of the COVID response will belong to the National Security Council and that only the operations will be handled by the you know NIH and CDC. And she said, There's it. there it is. They told you in a big color box who's in charge. Well, uh, this was out at least a year ago. That fact was out yeah. on the org chart at least a year ago and maybe a year and a half ago. Yeah. But I think it just... You know, we were too obtuse to think yeah. that was this more than a partnership or less than a partnership. We didn't really understand the roles and who was in charge of whom, because an or organizational chart really is authority, not just collaboration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and 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 once you realize that, uh, it explains a number of things. One is just how it felt so much like martial law. At least it did to me. It felt like. Like the, we no longer had a civilian government. Uh, well, that's that. why our constitutional rights were all vaporized. Yeah. Yes, there's that, and then it also explains why we're having such a hard time getting answers because a lot of the stuff is 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 classified, and the people who knew about it are, I guess, under some sort of lifetime seal to never reveal the truth, which leaves us in an odd situation of just kind of having to just find clues and and figure it out along the way. Yeah, but you know the the things being classified is a, a, a corruption tool, uh, lack of transparency because you you classify things that could harm the people working for the government, like your spies in foreign countries have to be classified and so on. Yeah. That level of operations is one thing. Um, secret things about other countries that you know about that if they knew you knew, it would be damaging to our ability to carry out foreign policy and defense and all those things. That those things get classified, but corrupt workings of your own government have no reason to be classified. The 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 you know the fact that the yeah. the, the science has already shown that this was a bioengineered gain of function research product that either leaked out or was intentionally released that did this damage across the world was not so cataclysmically damaging to the intelligence community 
other than that they supported it and they could always claim that they they trusted that the technologies would would contain it well enough that this work could be done safely and so they have a deniable plausibility a deniable excuse not to have gone full bore 100 percent uh suppressive of information in this way about their role in its creation and yeah and we already know how much they funded DOD funded the gain-of-function research, and NIH funded the gain-of-function research, and who the actors were, including Peter Hotez. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and so so we, we know all that. So why still, given all that, did yeah. they find the necessity of absolute secrecy over their role in this, except that there was something malevolent about mm-hmm. their role, not mm-hmm. just operation normal operational yeah and 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 early on as you recall this guy jeremy farrar who's now the head of the world health organization as, as i recall but he and fauci were very Chief scientific officer at who yes yeah yeah um no they're right the 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 they were very close emails. that's right mm-hmm. and he says in his book that came out in the I remember right. I think it was might have the fall of twenty one. His book said that they went to uh, burner phones. Yes, and that they had secret uh, class, you know, sort of um, encrypted uh, Zoom calls, and that the, that he said he couldn't sleep at night, and that at some point he went to his family and said, "If I'm if I wake up dead, I didn't kill myself." So. Uh, so that's the level of fear that they were working with. Now, look, honestly, if this were just a virus, you know, uh, coming from a wet market in Wuhan, would you really have gone through all that level of histrionics? The only thing that would explain that, that, oh, but actually, but we have MERS, SARS-1, Zika, uh, chikungunya virus, all of those things, you know, and who knows, even Ebola. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, have had components of hysteria, his, hysteria, and public health attempted public health takeover, and and yeah. mass vaccinations that only were curtailed because there was no mass epidemic, no pandemic. That's right. Those cases. That's right. Uh, SARS SARS one stopped in Singapore and Canada. I guess we had some cases in Canada. H one N one of 2009 never became that that much of a, 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 a pandemic beyond a seasonal flu. Uh, what else are we? No, oh, the 2005-2006 avian bird flu right. uh, scare was uh, a very interesting case because Fauci was interviewed at the time, and he was giving very alarmist interviews to the media, and he was saying, "Well, uh, two people." have gotten the avian bird flu and one of them died that gives us a 50% fatality rate <laughs> <laughs> that true story that's what he said <laughs> with confidence limits from from minus 18% to 290% <laughs> so yeah you're right they've been trying to whip up a frenzy for a very very long time something changed after um Something changed after the 21st century, or maybe it it changed earlier than that. But well, you know, Event 201 was the 20th annual or almost annual yeah. um, scenario planning uh, meeting where they've been doing this, 
And, you know, the security state has been involved in all of those planning meetings. And yeah, Richard Cadillac and the rest of them, <clears throat> they've been at the front center of these things. There's that other one called Crimson Contagion. Right. And, and the weight between the two, I don't know which one is more important, but uh, Crimson Contagion ran all the way through the beginning of the COVID pandemic. And they finally shut it down in, I think, November or December of 2019, after the point at which COVID is already spreading in the United States. So those overlapped. And the guy who ran that, which I think is Cadillac, actually, um, then became, you know, the operations manager for for the COVID response. So real life led to, um, or or this the, the germ gaming led to real life very, very quickly. No, no difference. And I, I felt like at the time we were living through what felt like, you know, a germ game or a Hollywood movie, something like that, like that movie Contagion, which I'm sure you've seen. Yeah. So the the question really is, why has the security state been using the germ game, as you put it, as a vehicle for martial law? Um, so, uh, Harvey, I'm not, you know, a lot of this speaks to our our own conceptions of history. Uh, you know, why do terrible things happen by, by powerful people? And my understanding of this is, you know, based on my reading of history and everything, is that you do always have a ruling class out there that's always looking for some great excuse. And those are modulating all the time. It could be witchcraft, could be the devil, could be the Jews, could be the communism, could be some, whatever it is. And infectious disease is just one of those cards in the card file, you know? And uh, it, it got very late in the day. And there seemed to be a collapse of consensus for, for what they were doing and they decided to play it. That's, that's my read on the situation. I know this real, real life is a lot more complicated than that, but that's, that's what I saw it as. All right. Well, let me just, uh, we have to take a, a pause here. We're getting to our commercial break. So we'll be back shortly and listeners, please stay tuned. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, 
We heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. All right, welcome back. This is Dr. Harvey Rich with Mr. Jeffrey Tucker. We were just talking about the security state and really whether are they the elite that are in control? Are, are they the interests or are they taking advantage of their position in the power structure of the government as opposed to the industrialists who have traditionally been the elite in our society for the, for the last hundred years, say? Well, this is what has shocked me. And I, I tell you, I've changed my mind on many, many things, as I think many people have over the last three years. But I did not realize the power of industry uh, over government. Uh, and the pharmaceutical industry is a, is a classic one, but it's not just that. It's These days, it's all the social media companies and the big box industrial stores and just the rich, the richest of the rich, of uh, the biggest of the big businesses and I had no idea I I have to tell you as a as a, somebody with a sort of a libertarian orientation I think I always imagined that business was the good guys and the government was the bad guys but that's because you thought business was capitalism and not crony capitalism that's right I didn't I knew abstractly that this was possible I didn't realize <clears throat> the reality of how you can't even tell which is the hand and which is the glove anymore in fact I've gone through a, a a sea change in my own outlook. I'm starting to think the real hand in the glove of government is, in fact, industry itself. Now, once you start thinking that way, you know what does that do to your ideological orientations? It changes. It changes everything. At least it has for me. Uh, well, I understand. I mean, how do you get the crony out of the crony capitalism? The only way is you regulate it. You know, uh, and it put it puts unions back into a role as a as a de facto regulator, and government and an uncorrupted government in that role. But you can, but the problem with most of these things is that the corruption becomes what mathematically is called an absorbing state. Which yeah. Once you get into it, you can't get out of it. Yeah. There's no tool to get to get you out of these things. Yeah. How do you regulate the regulators? So I don't I don't think the answers are at all obvious uh, to me anymore which in a way is good because it makes intellectual life more fun right i mean you know in, in a sense if you if you already have the answers what's the why research why read why write you know if you're just going to pronounce where i'm i find myself in the situation of wanting to learn more uh about everything i'm, I'm rethinking the last i don't know thousands of years i mean i'm i i, I realized i had a, a truncated view of how the world works and now that I've been slammed in the head with reality at multiple levels. I'm I'm more passionate and intellectually curious than I, I ever have been. So I, I don't have the answers really, but I'll also I'm listening a lot more carefully to what other people have to say. People like RFK and 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 you and and so on because because I, I we desperately need to solve the problem. I mean we're going through a 
what seems to me to be a civilizational, you know, wide collapse and 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 trust and in and morality and a and and a basic ethics of community understanding our religions are are have fallen apart um you know we're we're living in very very difficult times everything is meaner and more evil than it used to be um, so so let, let let's let me go from my perch a thousand feet up yeah which is to say we're having this conversation on a radio broadcast on a podcast and the people in control are thinking, oh, look at that. The little people down there are whining about their <laughs> poor circumstance. That means they don't have any tools for getting back at us because they're spending their time whining. And, you know, and so we're succeeding. So they're saying, look, we're succeeding because yeah. we're controlling them. And the worst they can do is whine or they could have street protests. You know, so what do we care if, if 100,000 people come out in the street to protest? That means they have no other tools. Mm -hmm. Right. So they see all of that as letting off steam in a population as opposed to something more destructive, like going to court against them and things like that, that they've got political fighting going on so that nobody will actually let their attorneys go to court because they're so polarized. It's the let's you and him fight model of games people play. You know, meanwhile, yep. those people are sitting at the top, you know, dangling their puppets. Yep. Uh, I agree with everything you just said. And Good. going to court sounds very reasonable, but it also gives people an out because most people can't afford to go to court. They don't know how the system works. They don't have an attorney that will take the case. And they're like, well, there's nothing I can do. And I, w- I will say this. Um, one thing that I've been, I've come to the conclusion that it's really important that that everybody realize their power, the power of their spending, the power of their consumer dollar. Uh, we've seen how now, you know, in, in wake of these boycotts of Target and and uh, Bud Light and so on, how people's regular behavior in their own lives can actually have a, gig- a huge impact on the products and companies that ascend up the uh, hierarchy and that those which 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 fall down it and that that's a real uh, source of power so i that's that's at least i've been writing a lot about this now you remember there's this this guy named thorsten veblen who is a kind of a mm-hmm. progressive economist you know uh, writing about 100 years ago and he, and he he deconstructed the spending habits of the rich and what he concluded was that that a lot of the things the rich buy and do <clears throat> is not really about making their lives uh, better in a material sense it was really just cultural uh signaling systems that they, they people engage in what's called um conspicuous consumption as a way of of saying i'm i'm me and, and you're not me you know i'm i'm a part of the elites and you're not well uh that's a very powerful i think way to understand why it is that people do these things well if you're unhappy with the way things are we should be if you're unhappy that amazon and and uh home depot uh, and uh, and Lowe's uh, stayed open while your small businesses were shut down during the pandemic. That's three point four million businesses were 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 lost, really. So I've been I've been consciously been very careful, much more careful in my own life about dealing with small businesses, small family businesses, uh, finding other ways. Uh, to to get meat and vegetables, going to the farmers markets and this kind of thing, this has become very important to me. And maybe it's not; it doesn't sound like 
the way to change the world, but it kind of is. I don't I mean, think this is scalable. I think that that uh, it, it's your own personal kind of virtue signaling for yourself, yeah, not public be. virtue signaling, but you know that I don't think that it requires a, a sustained um, large scale effect. And in fact, the Bud Light boycott did not damage Anheuser Busch much. What happened was the stockholders got scared over the boycott and and sold shares and that damaged them much more yeah. because of fear not because of actual sales changes that is true that is true still it is something that we can actually do uh um uh, there are other things i think we can do but i i the stores i support in my community here are uh, were all uh harmed by the pandemic response and are all trying to come back and they also uh, interestingly, from an economic point point of view, the smaller uh, businesses have been much more responsive um, to their consumer base, given the inflation and a way in which the large scale businesses have not. Now, in economics, we learned that so it's always the economies of scale, which is to say that the more people you know are working for your business, the, the more you have buying power at the wholesale level, and you can pass that on to consumers. That's not so much true anymore. Because a biz, big business is saddled with enormous costs of compliance with ESG and DEI mandates, and they have huge management structures that are tremendously unsustainable, hiring useless and you know thousands and thousands of useless employees at the top to do nothing but uh, comply and pretend to work and not really working. The small businesses, you know, are hiring their families. They have. Uh, uh, supply chains that are very much connected oftentimes with their religious faith and that sort of thing. And they were able to to respond to the inflationary pressure in a way in which the big businesses weren't. So over the last uh, 24 months, I've noticed you can get much better quality, much better deals from the small suppliers than you can for the big, big suppliers. In my lifetime, I've never seen anything like that. We always congratulated Walmart because they had small prices because they could buy in bulk. Remember those days? Sure. Uh, but that's not that's not it's not not so obviously true anymore. Uh, these that, are that's very interesting, and and um, you know Walmart also thinks that they're impregnable to uh, social dissatisfaction with with their woke policies and all that. Yep. Uh, targets uh, in a very similar situation, but they found out otherwise too. So yes. I think this this movement's just beginning. Uh, but it could be, Harvey, that we are going into a period where we're going to see a renaissance of these small scale, uh, small businesses and 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 much shortened supply chains and a trust based system of of economic association that's ba based in, you know, uh, friends and family and religions and, and these kinds of things, uh, because that's there's an economic advantage to it. Uh, I hope you're a, right. I think I, you know yeah. part of the the issue of commerce of the last twenty to thirty years is the just-in-time economy. That mm -hmm. the warehousing has was considered to be a, a unnecessary step of anything, which means that when you want anything, there's always a delay that's because right. nothing is ever in stock, right? Yeah, and that's so right. So your just-in-time never works. It's their just-in-time that that that's that. right. <laughs> Uh, there's an interesting story about that because just-in-time inventory worked for, what, 60 years or something, right? It was uh, innovative by the Japanese. When the lockdowns happened, the uh, just-in-time inventory thing, uh, for a lot of the car manufacturers that were looking for uh, chips, uh, thought, well, we don't need them for now. 
but just wait until the pandemic passes through and we'll reorder them in the fall. And so they went to reorder these. We were talking about the fall of 2020. So as we went in from the fall and approached the winter, then the, all the car manufacturers started firing up their production again. They said, okay, you can send our chips now. And the companies who made the chips, mostly in Singapore and, and that area of the world, said, uh, you know, actually, we were sort of disappointed you didn't order over the spring and summer. And so we retooled all our factories uh, to supply more gaming consoles for homes. <laughs> I'm sure all those people at home who needed them. Yeah, go right. out. They were locked down. That's right. So they couldn't get the chips. And the customers were going crazy. I mean, this went on for the better part of uh, six to six to ten, even uh, twelve months. So there was an enormous car you new car shortage in this country. Do you know that some of the major American manufacturers actually shipped their cars without power steering? So <laughs> because they couldn't get chips for the damn thing. So that's so what that, I remember that the, the price of used cars went up dramatically because yeah. new cars were hard to come by. Yeah, that's exactly right. So we saw a huge inflation in in, uh, in the used car market. Uh, a lot of those people who bought those cars then had to face very high repair bills, you know, so that so that caused the repair bills, you know, it's, it's huge inflation and in, in, uh, and and also people who, who work in car repair, you know, lost interest in working, you know, living off stimulus payments. So they weren't, weren't enough of that. So it caused this 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 one mistake in just in time inventory. It worked for 60 years. Suddenly it stopped working just overnight. It was, well, because it's not resilient. Just in time inventory yeah. is not not resilient. There's no okay. plan B. Yeah. Yeah. So so we we went without power steering uh for 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 you know 12 to 24 months. The whole country's been without power steering. Are you kidding? <laughs> but I'm I'm excited about this. If nothing else, <clears throat> there's another feature of this that I think is really important here. Uh is taking charge of your own health. And that speaks to something that's very intimate in people's lives. I think we've gone through decades in which we've just sort of trusted the medical system to take care of us, and especially the pharmaceuticals. Uh, I suspect that there's there's a growing incredulity towards this model within the general, general population. That's why I was like, one of the reasons I was, I was excited about the RFK video is he's trying to inspire a new commitment to health. So if, if people start getting out you know, more, that means more vitamin D, and uh, taking care of the health better and eating better, that means you know fewer fewer carbs and less uh, fewer l- less fast food. And just a better diet and and you know old fashioned exercise, uh, that can that can go a long way. Uh, first of all, it's personally beneficial, but from an industrial point of view, we are actually in a position to to make a difference in terms of the structure of the medical services that we're consuming. Also, well, there's a lot of entrenched interests, you know, and the the medical boards that are stifling the doctors, the hospitals yeah. that are stifling. Doctors. This is why the wellness company that I'm affiliated with. You know, got right. set up to do outpatient, tele, you know, in-person telemedicine uh, to be able to circumvent all of that corrupted restriction on doctors being able to practice their traditional medical yeah. practices. And that's maybe one. If you're going to name one good thing, maybe there are two or three, but that's one good thing to come out of the pandemic lockdowns was more liberalization of telemedicine. Am I right about that? Yes, because it was the only recourse that people yeah. had, and. There are pros and cons to it, but one of the things 
is you don't have to wait for an hour and a half, you know, at the doctor's office um, and so on. You don't have to drive 30 miles or whatever to get to, to the doctor and all that that the, at least you save some time, even if the, what you can do is limited because there's no direct touching, so to speak. But in fact, the wellness company is exploring all sorts of sensors, inexpensive sensors that yeah. can be shipped that people can use for measuring things on them that doctors can can figure out what's going on in real time. Also, right. and, and also, in many ways, the medical establishment already seems to have captured many aspects of telemedicine. I, I, I'm certain of this only because of my own experience. I, I try not to get sick, but I did get a sinus infection a few weeks ago and called up to do conventional telemedicine. First question was, uh, have you taken a COVID test? And I said, well, no, I know that you know, it's a normal sinus infection. I know what this feels like. I've had them all my life. I just need some, uh, get, you know, give me a Z-pack or something, you know, some antibiotic and it'll go away and no problem, no time. And um, she said, well, you need to take a COVID test. I said, okay, let's pretend I've taken the code of a COVID test. Now what? And she said, well, have you been vaccinated? I said, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I, how is this related to my she, COVID test? She said, just answer the question. So I finally answered, yes, it's not entirely true, but I just, uh, <laughs> she said, well, be sure and upload your proof of vaccination after this to the, to the following link. Said, when are we going to get to my own sickness here? You know, when is this actually going to happen? So after this phone call, I, uh, finally, she dropped a Z-pack on me or whatever it was, Zithromycin or maybe it's Erythromycin, I'm not sure, to pick up at the local CVS. But after that phone call, I thought, you know, there might be other ways to do with this. Maybe I just went the antibiotic route too quickly here. So yes. so I, I got some really hot water, put it in what's called a, uh, gosh, I don't know what that thing is. That That's a sinus cleaner. You know, you pour it in your nose. Oh, yeah. A neti, neti pot, I think it's called. Okay. And added some 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 salt and 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 did a really hot cleanse and you know that 15 minutes later i felt a million times better i never went on those bad antibiotics and i thought you know, it, I last, it went away and that was enough yeah that was enough yeah i would recommend just breathing steam for a while with a towel over your head over a pot yeah. of water hot water I mean, so even i am too quick you know to go to the pharmacological solution so right. we live and learn we live and learn all right, so we're again approaching a commercial break time, so we'll be back shortly, and please, everyone, stay tuned. It was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow that said, lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime and departing, leave behind us footprints on the sands of time. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body, and now they found the solution. The miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase, the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. 
What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Welcome back. This is Dr. Harvey Rich with Mr. Jeffrey Tucker. We were just talking about lack of trust in the medical system that has become apparent because doctors have been so suppressed and controlled and either knowingly or unknowingly, whether they're scared and doing it out of compliance because of demands of their practice owners or because they believe in this system because they told themselves that's how it had to be, or because they feel threatened by the system uh, of doing things that they want to do more individually. Uh, well, Jeffrey, I encourage you to try out our, our the wellness company in the future. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, next time I'll know. <laughs> right, right. They will not ask you if you've been vaccinated. Uh, <laughs> That's crazy. They're not the only people. You know, my personal physician also doesn't ask his patients whether yeah. they've been vaccinated or not. I, what what is what does COVID have to do with science? None of it makes any sense. It's it's all about compliance. Um, I do have a, a story that you'll be very interested in. You know, as at, at the Brownstone Institute, we're similarly sort of on the front lines of these these sorts of things. And we ran an article, um, and I'm facing a lot of pressure from this group and that group, and that's been going on ever since we were founded. Uh, but I ran an article raising some fundamental questions about this over-the-counter birth control that uh, the FDA's uh, either has approved or is considering approving um, that would with no age restrictions. So it's conceivable that that middle schools will have vending machines so that uh, girls can use a credit card and, and just grab some some birth control out of a vending machine and start popping the pills. Well, the article argue, argued that the tests on this thing have, 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 are not sufficient. They're, there's not enough. And this is potentially a very dangerous drug. That's that's really what it said. Said so this is moving too quickly, and the FDA is just operating based on on industries we've come to expect. Well, within forty eight hours, I had uh, two th- highly threatening emails uh, arrive in my inbox from some of these fact checking organizations. <laughs> and for some reason, the fact checkers had gone through all the studies on uh, on this and said, how come your author didn't cite this study? How come we cited that study, but not this other study? I sent it to the author. The author wrote back and said, this, this is stupid. I mean, what are we doing this for? This is this is ridiculous. Do I really do I really need to answer this this gibberish? I said, no, don't bother. But uh, they they promised to expose Brownstone as a purveyor of, of misinformation. Now, we know now that you know, because of all the FOIA emails and everything else, these fact-checking organizations are working on behalf of uh, uh, social media companies who are working hand-in-glove with government to advance, you know, big pharma uh, priorities. Um, I should also say this article, this article did not get a lot of attention. I mean, it maybe got 2,000 views. I think your last article you wrote for us got, you know, 20,000 or 30,000 views. Mm-hmm. So it was not widespread. Uh, but it 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 was also the only article that raised fundamental questions in a public venue about this over-the-counter birth control pill. So that's you know you that's when you know you're over the target when some 
article that hardly anybody read you know, gets the attention the attention of the uh, of the ruling of the ruling elites in this country and they come after you Oh, I know, I know. But you know, the usual thing is they say you say you're spreading misinformation and you've been debunked, and then they move on. And any time anybody ever in the future, you ever stick your head up ever in the future, they just say, "Oh, you've been debunked," you know, as if as if that that's a state of knowledge, as as opposed to censorship. Yep, and this happened to us. You remember that uh, mask study that said that long COVID has very similar symptoms to. People who wear masks too much are not breathing very well, and that the masking may be contributing to ill health. Mm-hmm. And I tweeted it out. I ran an article about it by a person who's an actual, genuine expert on on masking. She was from, um, I think, Denmark, and she said, "You know, this this article is confirming what I had long suspected." Well, the article was with was uh, removed from from the journal um, after so called peer review so now the article has been deprecated it seemed fine to me i'm I'm not you're much better reading these studies than i am um so i immediately i got emails from the fact-checking organizations saying are you gonna are you gonna point out that this article that this lady cites has been has been removed withdrawn it's a withdrawn piece so therefore it's false so therefore your article is false and if you don't tell your readers that is false that that makes brownstone false and so this is the kind of pressure we're all under well was it retracted or was it with yeah retracted it was retracted because uh i guess some you know what happens if if you come to a conclusion that's different from from what the establishment wants then you're you're people are assigned to write in and intimidate the editors to the point that they finally just get sick of it and then retract the article so um there's a there's a difference between retraction where the journal says we're retracting it for stated reasons mm-hmm. and the authors decide to withdraw the oh, article. For I example, Didier Raoult, um, one of the main <clears throat> establishers of the benefit of using hydroxychloroquine in early outpatient COVID treatment, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, has worked in his institute in, in Marseille at, with, with 20 or 25 colleagues over the last three years, three and a half years, to show how good these medications work in treating COVID, and compiled they compiled a paper recently in April of thirty thousand people that have come through their clinic, and the the how well hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin, but in fact not ivermectin, <clears throat> uh, work against mortality. Yeah, all cause mortality. <clears throat> so they published. They put a, this paper out uh, on, um, I think it was Med Archive, and um, and and the French state came after them. The state threatened them to that they were going to um, stop funding his the the whole infectious diseases institute in Marseille, <clears throat> and then the head of the institute came after them, saying we're going to lose our funding. And you faculty members will not get promotions and you won't get your, you know, extra salaries for good work and all that. And so they decided to withdraw the paper pending publication somewhere else, not because it was retracted, wasn't retracted, the paper isn't wrong. In the meantime, they had put their raw data out, extensive raw data out on two separate websites that are available for anyone to analyze. I downloaded the data myself. There's full data description of everything. The original paper, in fact, is still out 
on the, the, the Wayback Machine and can be read. And so, and the, and the, the, it was not retracted, it was just withdrawn. So that doesn't mean that there's anything false about, about the paper of the analysis. Anyway, it's easy to do an analysis for those of us professionals who do these kinds of analyses that show fully well how well these medications work, that, that they cut um, mortality by 75% or so, just like we already know from all the other studies of hydroxychloroquine. And what's interesting is the powers that be didn't know that the data also show that vaccinated people have about, in in these data, have about half the risk of dying as unvaccinated people, adjusted for all these other factors, you know, the the, the antibiotics and hydroxychloroquine and, and all these other things, that there was a benefit. The, the data go through the end of 2021, these the 30,000 are from 2020 through the end of 2021, so they're not in Omicron period. Um, and so there was, in that period, there was a benefit of vaccination against mortality in those data. Of course, no one is going to ever say that because, you know, the, the, the French government wants the data to, to be disappeared, even though they don't have control over it. Um, and they, they want the paper to disappear, which they force them to do for the moment, although they're going to be publishing it somewhere else, they said. Oh, that's just, um, and this is as what's called a clinical trial, right? It was versus no, this is an observational study. Observational. It's very high quality observational study yeah. where the patients chose what medications they were willing to take or not. In yeah. that context, all of the other nine or 10 studies show that sicker people are the ones who choose to take these medications. Right. And people who are less symptomatic, who have less comorbidities, saying, you know, doctor, I think I can probably get through this okay. I'll just wait and see. I won't take the medications. And so all these studies have a hurdle that it's the sicker people who took the medications and therefore to show benefit, you have to surmount uh, that intrinsic hurdle of bias against the efficacy exactly. of, the, of the medication. Okay. And still they show all this benefit. Right. So this is a very interesting issue. And I've just uh, uh, went through a paper this morning by by an Israeli epidemiologist, I believe, uh, who's discussing these biases that apparently affect uh, vaccine research too. So, um, and and so you have to account for the bias uh, in the results. Um, that, so that's got a whole paper on that. Yeah, that's, that's really correct. interesting. Well, it's interesting that the, um, I think this was Alex Berenson, who raised the question of the healthy vaccine effect. Yep. And he, he got that out of some data from Hungary yep. showing from last year or whenever, showing that the people who got vaccinated were more likely to be in better health. But I think part of the problem is that this is a very age-sensitive kind of calculation. Yeah, And in fact, the Marseille data allow you to do that, to look at vaccination as an, as an outcome and look at what factors are associated with getting vaccinated. And it turns out that it's the opposite, that it's older, sicker people who are more likely to be vaccinated than, than healthier people in, in those data. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it depends where. Yeah, but regardless, you have to account for these for these biases. And what about, let me ask you something. To, uh, uh, I also, I want to recommend to to all to everybody who hasn't read it, your piece that you wrote for Brownstone on random controlled trials and the limits, that they're not the one path to all scientific truth. Uh, well, that's correct. That, that that's that's correct. That's been a, a brainwashing of the modern societies to think that 
the only evidence is in randomized control trials that they're bulletproof, they're not bulletproof, that they're not even randomized until you have large numbers of outcome events in every arm of the trial. And, and that's, that's very rare. expensive, and that also takes a lot of time. And right. in a pandemic, that's not exactly a viable strategy for, for for dealing with sick people, right? Well, when you have eight outcome events in, you know, in, in the vaccine armor of a trial, that's not randomized. Eight people is just not enough to be randomized. Yeah, yeah. Well, that paper was very interesting. I remember being super excited when you sent it to me because I get a little bit, I get suspicious when I hear these incantations of the one truth, you know, uh, over and over and over again. So I was super excited to run your piece and it, it caused <laughs> a lot of frenzy. But Well, uh, it must have been over target, I would guess. <laughs> but still, people keep going back to it. And I've had many conversations with people said that when they read that paper, which is a very carefully written uh, article, and it's become, for many people, kind of a d- definitive warning against against uh, always sitting around and waiting for the RCTs. And it isn't also the the case that the uh, random control trials require a great deal of funding, right? So Well, that is the, the economic corruption of, of the system that uh, this goes back to AIDS, you know, when the, the AIDS community in New York says everybody's dying from PCP pneumocystis pneumonia. And we've observed empirically that Bactrin, and I forgot the other antibiotic used together, treats this this, uh, pneumonia very well. Will you please espouse using these medications? And Fauci said, absolutely not. This was 1987. He said, absolutely not. Um, You know, not without large randomized control trial evidence. And we heard this before more recently. Anyway, that Uh was his thing. Uh, This is well documented. There are books written about this and, and articles. And that the the gay community in New York managed to self-fund doing a randomized control trial of, of these medications. It took them three years. Over that time period, 17,000 people in this community died of the PCP pneumonia until they showed that these medications, antibiotics, do treat it very well. Meanwhile, Fauci was... Uh, extolling the benefits of AZT, which is a very toxic medication that did not work well, that required additional medications to reduce its toxicity. That was the most expensive medication at that time uh, by dose of any medications used. And, you know, so, so you see the level of corruption going on where Fauci is doing the same thing then. That was his trial run for today. I learned, you know, in Robert Malone's book, that he did the same thing in the mid 2000s against vitamin D. He refused to support vitamin D as something that everybody should take to re- improve their immune system to to protect them from succumbing to respiratory infections. That we know now, there's very strong evidence of having vitamin yeah. D levels over 20 and and preferably over 50, you know, in in the blood. To and and people should be taking vitamin D. That in modern life, even being out in the sun is not enough to get good vitamin D levels that everybody should be supplementing vitamin D according to their body weight, but roughly supplementing vitamin D on a daily basis to maintain good blood levels. Everybody, the entire country. You know, Harvey, it's been fascinating for me when I started Brownstone as basically an anti-lockdown institution and and anti-mask mandates. And then we went into the vaccine period and anti-vaccine mandates, that sort of thing. But during this whole time, I kept getting a lot of people, I think you among them, saying, "Here, here's a good article on good therapeutics. But 
I received so many warnings from so many powerful people who said, whatever you do, don't talk about alternative ways towards health. You don't know anything about it. Uh, if you say something about vitamin D and that's wrong, it's going to discredit Brown So You need to just stay completely away from this topic. And I, and I complied with this for a very long time until I realized, wait, this doesn't make any sense. You but know? you have to realize I'm a supplement skeptic. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, you know, I see all the claims of supplements. I've seen them for my whole career, cancer related treatments and all this stuff, yeah. which is my main career. You know, I'm very skeptical. So when I'm saying that I'm willing to talk about vitamin D or in, you know, with limited evidence, natokinase for treating spike damage and things mm -hmm. like that, I base it on a knowledge base that's mm -hmm. accumulating and empirical and you know and it's reasonable and i you cannot just espouse things that you've seen in lab studies i i'm this is why i'm an epidemiologist i love lab studies and biological theories and i just don't believe them at yeah. least not until there's empirical evidence in right. humans you know substantial evidence it doesn't have to be randomized trials it can be yeah. you know you evidence synthesis for causal reasoning is messy and subjective and hill said that in 1965 that you mm. weigh all the evidence you, you amass all valid evidence and you put it all together and you make sense of it and that is a gray subjective process that is not automatable that you can't just mm. do three randomized trials and click the boxes and say i'm done because this is it it, it requires careful, objective, sensitive, thorough reasoning. And that's why it's hard. And that's why nobody wants to do it because it takes time, you know, in their mental, just in time mental world, you know, that, that they don't want to spend the time and effort and be, right. you know, at risk of being subjective. But that is the real world, the way science works. And that, there's no way around it. Can't you just type your question into chat GPT and get... Sure, and you know, and then push back. <laughs> Thank you for publishing that little essay. Also, that was that was very good. Well, unfortunately, we've we've run out of time. Amazingly, um, yeah. I hope everybody's enjoyed our discussion. And if you have questions or comments for me, please submit them at americaoutloud.com forward slash pulse. Jeffrey, thank you. This has been a really great discussion. I love it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And please come back again next week. Thank you.